Hello and welcome to another episode of Menopause Cafe in conversation with series of podcasts. And joining me from literally just around the corner geographically today is Vicky Chapman. Vicky has recently started a post in the voluntary sector and she was also responsible for setting up Endometriosis UK Dundee support group last year following her own diagnosis with the condition in 2017. And it's hoped that the group can provide a safe and supportive environment for those with suspected or diagnosed endometriosis to share their experiences. Hello, Vicky. Hi. I'm just wrestling with my microphone here. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Now I've got that. Now I've got the, the electronics sorted out. Mm -hmm. So endometriosis support group um, in Dundee. Yes. The obvious question why why set that up why get involved okay so as you already mentioned i was diagnosed myself in 2017 and um, i felt at the time there wasn't any local support available here my closest support group at the time was five and i live in arbroath um, and i basically i started attending the five group went to a few meetings met with like you know like-minded people who were going through the same thing and I then decided having spoken to the group leaders for Fife that there was a there was a gap in the market essentially for Dundee so the group does cover quite a wide area currently we so it covers uh, South Aberdeenshire, Angus, Dundee and Perth um, so quite a wide area but I think it's quite good that at least people know there's support available there now and that allows people to access it if they want to if they don't that's fine too there's no pressure to participate um but yeah i just i feel personally that there's nothing quite like being in a room with people who understand it and you know you can feel rubbish and say you feel rubbish and it's not a problem because they get it how many how many women do you have coming along on average um so it varies month on month at the moment we're not doing face-to-face -face meetings given the pandemic pandemic however um i would say it can kind of range from between maybe like six up to possibly like 15 right um face-to-face -face meetings i think in general you probably have more people coming along who are based in Dundee because usually I have meetings at the um, medical school right. and if, if they're not at the medical school I have them at a social enterprise in Dundee called uh, Serendipities because um, I feel like that's important you know trying to do something that supports the local um, yeah, local area as well is really important so yeah I, I would say doing them online's probably brought in maybe a wider audience Right. So, I mean, it's, it's about one in 10, isn't it? I think. Is that right? Yeah. One in 10 yes. women have endometriosis? One in 10. Yeah. And how many of those are actually diagnosed? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I think, yeah, I think the one in 10 does apply to those that are diagnosed. Now you've put me on the spot. I don't actually know that. Because I, I actually wonder whether it might be slightly higher. That's, that's sort of where I'm getting at. Because I think yeah. so many women just, you know, they, they assume that their painful periods are just, they're just painful periods. Um, yes. And perhaps, you know, they go to their GP and they, they explain things and it's just, well, yeah, periods are painful. Yes. I think sometimes 
doctors can fob people off, um, which, you know, I don't think that's only the case for endo. I think that's the case for like menopause as well. I've heard of some horror stories in relation to menopause too. Um, I feel that my own experience was probably, I, I was put on methanamic acid like in my teenage years to sort of keep on top of my painful periods. I'd always had painful periods. They were always heavy. Um, but they were also very, very regular. Like, you know, my period would start on one day, I'd finish on a Sunday. I just assumed everyone was like that. Obviously that isn't the case, but that was my naivety when I was younger. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes because endo can present itself in so many different ways as well, you know, there isn't just one symptom. There's like a range of symptoms. But what I would say is if, if pain is impacting someone on like, being able to do their daily activities, like going about their day-to-day -day business, then it's worthwhile going to your GP. Um, and it's really helpful as well to kind of keep a pain and symptoms diary so that, you know, you can kind of say, well, this is how it is during my periods, but then for endo, sometimes it impacts people out with their period because that was how I ended up being diagnosed because I started getting pain on like a daily basis. I was getting like lower back pain um, and soon after that, I got told it was a UTI to start with and it was, a. I got put for like scans and blood tests. Um, and it wasn't until I seen one GP who'd asked, did you, had I had, um, my blood, no, hang on, sorry, my cancer markers checked. And she then said, she got, she got test results back really quickly. So the next day I got a call saying that, uh, the cancer marker check had come up with something but the doctor couldn't speak to me until the following day so I had 24 hours of going I may have cancer this like you know at the age of 28 that wasn't somewhere where I thought I would be um so from you know actually seeing the doctor going to gynae I got seen fairly quickly but I think that was because of the fact that they thought it could be cancer so I got seen probably within I think I'd seen gynae no how I went for a scan I then seen gynae a week and a half later um at which point they then suggested having an MRI so I had an MRI probably a couple of weeks after that and then it all went quiet um I didn't hear anything I was then like chasing people up to try and work out what was going on and basically got told by a secretary that I had suspected endometriosis. I'd never heard the word before. I didn't know what it was myself. Um, and yeah, it kind of, it, it slowed down at that point. It was, there wasn't any kind of support available. Um, I just got told I needed to see a specialist and that was, that was it. So I was then going to, well, I was put on the waiting list to see the specialist, but then I got admitted to the gynae assessment unit at Nine Wells one day in July 2017 and they'd said that the specialist I needed to see had a cancellation that day. So I was like, well, I'll take it. I'll, I'll get seen. So I got seen that day, but it, I mean, it took quite a lot of assertiveness to actually let them like, let me be seen because my view was what was the likelihood of someone else being able to actually make that appointment? I don't know. Other people might have been able to, but I did get seen that day. I got put on the waiting list. And then 12 weeks later, I had my diagnostic laparoscopy, which is the gold standard for diagnosing endometriosis. Um, and yeah, my gynae wanted to put me into temporary menopause when I was still a bit 
um, out of it, shall we say. Um, and I refused at that point because he didn't have time to tell me what it was going to do to my body. And I thought, well, if you don't have time, I'm not going to do it. But he was trying to say, well, you know, if you don't get it done, um, you're going to end up with a stoma bag. And because it would make his job harder when it came to doing a second surgery. So I still refused. Um, and then I ended up by my follow up because he was telling me that was my only option. I'd come to terms with it and then went to my follow-up appointment and got told, oh, you could try this and this and this and this and this. And I'm like, but we went like six weeks ago, you were saying I had one option. Now you've given me like heaps of options. So I tried the combined pill. That didn't work for me. It made things worse. Um, not helped by the fact that during that time as well, my, we lost my granddad suddenly. Um, and that, that was a hard, hard time to go through. Um, Christmas Day 2017, I managed to have half a bowl of soup and that was about it. Um, I'd also Not lost ideal. <laughs> Not ideal, no. Um, I'd lost a stone and a half as well before my surgery. So probably between March and the October in the same year, I'd lost a stone and a half. So I was down to like seven stone. And as someone who's always been very wary about their weight and thinking I was always overweight, when I went down to seven stone, that wasn't much better either. So, um, yeah. So, so since then, I did end up on Zolodex, which put me into temporary menopause. I didn't get offered HRT at any point while I was on it. Um, was on that for six months. And then since then, I've been on the mini pill. Um, so that's just over two years I've been on the mini pill now. And in the main, it keeps my symptoms at bay. Although I am starting to notice that my symptoms are coming back. But whether it's, I don't know whether it's the kind of, lockdown situation or whether it's my pills becoming ineffective or um I had some stuff going on personally and yeah I I don't know I don't know what's made my symptoms come back but they are still there and my end was still there because it never got removed so how was it when you went into the temporary menopause for those um, six months I can't really say I noticed many side effects but then maybe Maybe it was just because like life pre-surgery was so kind of difficult that anything was better than that. But I definitely feel that the treatment I was on, so Zolodex, definitely gave me my quality of life back. However, the difficulty with endo is there isn't one treatment that fits all. We all have different, we'll all have different reactions to different treatments. So whilst I'd like to say, yeah, go and try this treatment, it's not necessarily going to impact each person in the same way, which makes it difficult. Um, but Endo UK do have like a really great resource, which is um, a treatment options information pack. So, you know, if anyone was kind of going through gyne and whatever just now, my suggestion would be to try and arm yourself with the knowledge of what's in that information pack so that you, you at least know what the options are and you have at least a a little understanding of what each one does rather than be in the position where I was, which was going, well, I don't know what that's going to do to my body. And so I refused. Knowledge is power, isn't it? I mean, we, you know, at Mental Horse Cafe, we're always, we're banging on about it, but it's, it's so true. It's, it's knowledge is power. And if you have the information at your fingertips, you're better placed to make decisions. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, the more I learn about endo, I'm still learning myself. You know, there's things come up and I'm going, oh, okay, I need to go and look into that or different symptoms that come up. It's just about trying to keep on top of it. But I think 
all in all, there needs to be more, well, there needs to be more awareness of the condition. So you're not like in the position where I was, which was, you know, starting my period at age 11, didn't get diagnosed until 29, um, and was diagnosed with like the most severe form of endometriosis. Um, it's, it's not really, I wouldn't say, well, actually from my own experience, it wasn't covered in the curriculum at school. Um, endometriosis was a new word to me until I was 28. And I don't think that's good enough. I think we need to be, we're failing young people by not actually telling them about what could be going on in their body. You know, some girls start their periods like at the age of eight. Um, and I think it's really important that, you know, we get behind the current kind of petitions that are ongoing to try and get menstrual wellbeing into the Scottish curriculum because England have now approved it to go into their curriculum. Wales, I think, is still um, being considered. And then we've got Scotland. And, you know, I know that it was announced last week as part of the programme for government that um, women's health is, is on there. So hopefully it might be, well, it might be added at some point. I'd, I would really like to think it will be. Are there any policies in the workplace that help women if they're having issues such as endometriosis? Because I'm imagining it must have had a significant impact on mm -hmm. your work life or your ability some days to actually go into the workplace. Yes. So since, um, I, well, I can only talk from my own experience, but I know that, so when I was working for a local authority, um, I worked in HR prior to the role that I'm in now. Um, I was asked to uh, develop and implement a menopause policy in the workplace. However, I knew that Scottish government were doing like a periods of menopause policy. So I felt like it would be better if we were more inclusive so that it wasn't just menopause. We were more opening up to younger um, people in the organisation as well. I've been on the receiving end before of someone saying to me, well, what do you know about menopause? Because like, because I'm young and it's it's hard because you know you don't feel you you have to justify yourself but it is really important to just not make that sweeping generalization that menopause only affects people who are 45 plus um because it can come in early because of like cancer treatment it can come in early because of hysterectomies um so I was really passionate about getting that policy out there and um one of the local councillors as well, she she put in the motion for the policy to be created. So she was very behind it as well. So there was me and her and um, the community planning partnership as well. It was kind of like a, a joint effort to get that put in place in the workplace. Um, and we had like a policy launch on World Menopause Day last year, which was really well attended. And we had cake and we had like a video from uh, Christina McKelvey um, just to open it up. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like having a policy in the workplace would be a huge benefit um, because it makes people know that their employer are actually supportive of it. You know, menstruation affects 50% of the population. So um, it, it can impact and it's, yeah, I just don't feel there's enough out there at the moment. I know that there are organisations who are working on that though. So hopefully that'll change in the future too. There is change in the air. Um, and also, I mean, having the younger generation who I think they're far more vociferous, aren't they, as regards standing up for what they believe. Um, I think they're just bolder. Um, and that's a great thing. 
but I mean, periods and menstruation, I mean, as you say, we need to be looking at the full spectrum, the full length of our menstrual journeys, if you like, because there's great emphasis and rightly so on childbirth. But mm -hmm. then if you look at the, the other ends of the spectrum, there's virtually nothing. Um, yeah. And I have to say, I may be slightly biased here, but Perth, share Perth, I'm thinking, you know, Menopause Cafe started in Perth. Mm -hmm. And of course, PCABs, they now do their, their tampon taxi. Yes. So um, I now work for PCABs. So I am part of um, the group of, well, the team who are behind that. Um, so with tampon taxi, the emphasis is very much on the ethos of period dignity. It's about shame-free access to the products that people want for themselves, giving them that element of choice. Um, it's very much the first step for us at PCAS of a long-term effort to foster a conversation around periods that's free from stigma and ultimately takes forward period dignity for every woman and girl in Perth and Kinross. Um, the tampon taxi has been a vital service during lockdown, but like I say, it's just the first step in a longer longer journey, essentially. I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible what you're doing because, um, I mean, I saw at the beginning of lockdown, various mm -hmm. villages um, had these um, almost like, I suppose, post boxes. And, and actually, yes. I, I think there was actually one telephone box, wasn't there, that was actually kitted out? Um, is there anywhere else in the UK that are doing something similar? Well, I know certainly my own um, local authority area, so I live in Angus, there is um, the Free Period Angus um, campaign currently, and they have like boxes that are filled that are put around various establishments and people can just take what they need. Um, they also started putting them in gents' toilets as well, so that, you know, if it was like single dads or whatever that they could take them as well and they get like a little different they have like a bag to put them in so they don't have to carry them because you know there is still that shame absolutely to some extent of people carrying you know you you shove like a pad or a tampon up your sleeve so that yep. people don't know um in terms of uh, tampon taxi so there are there are a couple of ways you can access um them as well so one is to text a number which is zero seven three nine five eight eight six six seven two or you can email period products at pcafs.org.uk and then someone will get back to you and arrange drop off or collection yeah no that's an absolutely incredible service if you had one piece of advice or, or tip or, or thought that you would like to perhaps give a young girl who's wondering whether do i have endometriosis do i not What's the one piece of advice that perhaps you would like to have heard, um, you know, maybe in your mid-teens when you were finding things difficult? Mm -hmm. I think the one thing I would say is that you know your body better than anybody else. Um, you know, don't let doctors, family, friends sort of put what you're, well, sort of invalidate your feelings, like how you're feeling. You know yourself how you're feeling. I think the difficulty with endo is that, particularly like from my own experience, that what I was going through I thought was normal. Um, you know, even though I have the same group of friends that I had like at school now, we didn't really talk about periods back then. Um, we speak about them more now, but that's more because of me being diagnosed and because of the group. So I feel like, you know, 
you need to make sure that if you're experiencing symptoms that you think may or may not be normal or you're having like very heavy periods that are like there's clots or if you're experiencing pain during or after sex um painful bowel movements painful urination um pelvic pain as well another one um which may seem like an obvious one but i think the other thing is endo can grow elsewhere in the body as well it's not just a gynecological condition um, the only place it hasn't been found in the human body is the spleen. Um, but again, sometimes the other thing is that people only find out they have it when they're having difficulty falling pregnant because endo or polycystic ovaries can both impact your ability to conceive. I mean, I'm imagining there's also a, a psychological impact as well because I, I know it's sort of, it's called a, a, an invisible illness, isn't it? Um, yeah. and, and in much the same way that um, because we've been conditioned not to talk about our periods in the same way that that side of it's not spoken about. I imagine, you know, the psychological impact, the impact, impact on your mental health is going to be um, or can be quite significant. Yeah, I, I think um, it, it can be. And I think that's why, you know, groups, support groups are so important, whether that's online, face to face. I just think, you know, knowing you're not alone in the fight and also that, there are people who understand it because, you know, I think I, I'm really lucky that I have a really good support network at home. I have my husband and my mum and dad um, are totally amazing. And, you know, no convert, yeah, no conversation topics off limits anymore. Like, you know, but as before, we might not have spoken about them. Um, my dad certainly, you know, I remember when I was having really bad periods that he, he would go and get, um, like menstrual products for me without questioning it he would go into boots buy them take them home that was that but I know not everyone is in that position where their dad would do that um but my dad's always been very good at it and he's never like I say he's never questioned it and he's always been quite okay with doing it um as long as he knew what he was looking for so I mean he like I've had a I had an endo support group meeting earlier this year where sometimes we invite people's support networks to come along um, and my mum and dad both came so like I'd said to my dad oh, you know you should come along to one and he was a bit like oh no I don't, I don't think so I think that's about in my comfort zone but he did come along and um, you know he he tried to get involved in the conversation we were speaking about um, what was that oh it was uh, foods to help you uh, basically to, to help you pass a bowel movement because that can be difficult with endo yeah. um, and I'd been told by a pelvic physio that uh, conference pears was, was like a, a good thing to eat because of the texture. Um, so yeah, my, my dad was getting involved in that conversation. So, um, you know, whilst it was out with his comfort zone, he, he got involved and he was, he was fine. He had coffee and cake. He was all right. <laughs> hats off, hats off. Cause, I mean, we're always trying to get more men to come along to our events and it's, it was about three to 4%. It's dropped, dropped to about 1.5%. Um, so we've, we've got a long, long way to go there, but it's, I think it, slowly, slowly, I think. Mm -hmm. Now, I also, before I wrap things up, I, I want to give you a shout out for the, the work you do with um, the guide dogs because mm -hmm. very recently I, I was seeing you on, I think, Instagram and mm -hmm. you were posting photographs of Amber. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, you know, again, hats off to you because that's voluntary, isn't it? And you're, you're bringing through these guide dogs. Do, do you find that the animals, did they help you at the time? Did they... Did, did they know when you f didn't feel very well? Um, I 
good to think so. I know, like, certainly, so we've had um, eight guide dogs. We've boarded eight, got eight guide dogs in training during our time um, oh since we started volunteering. And one of them certainly used to sort of lay in the most unusual positions, but quite often would kind of snuggle into my tummy. Like, so I always kind of joked about, well, I don't need a hot water bottle because I have a dog. So it was, it, I think to some extent they do know and like with Amber, um, when my symptoms have been particularly bad just recently, um, <clears throat> she, she's been kind of like, she'll lay next to me while I'm struggling or whatever. So yeah, I, I think they do know to some extent. Um, and as part of, um, well, for, for my recent birthday, I did some fundraising for, for that, uh, for guide dogs. So, and managed to raise over 400 pounds, which wow. was, um, was really unexpected. I didn't expect to raise that much, but, um, yeah, I, I was very grateful to friends and family because I'm always asking for money for fundraising for either Endo UK or for guide dogs. So, um, yeah, it, it was nice to be able to give them something back. And obviously we've had Amber, we had Amber during lockdown, which was really good as well. Cause I think that kept, kept us going, you know, at a time where we maybe wouldn't have went out and what, well, obviously we couldn't go out, but, um, having to take her out for a walk was that kind of kept us on the go of, right, we need to go out because we need to walk her. But as I think if we didn't have her, we might not have gone out for walks as much when we were allowed to. Would you like to, to tell the listeners where, where can they connect with you? Um, perhaps if, you know, if they want to, to find out more about the work you do through endometriosis or, or, or the ta tampon taxi, we'll put the, um, we'll put the details in the, uh, in the podcast link. Uh, mm -hmm. So people can, can go straight to there. But where would they find you for your endometriosis work? Okay, so for endometriosis, it would be on Twitter and Instagram. It's just at Endo Dundee. And on Facebook, it's a closed group. So um, there's a few questions prior to joining, just basically asking if you've got endometriosis and whereabouts you, well, whereabouts you stay in terms of is it Angus, Perth, Dundee, whatever. Um so the Facebook groups, Endometriosis UK Dundee Support Group, and there is also a page for the group on Endo UK's website as well. Wonderful. Vicky, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you ever so much for your time. Thank you.